Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. So I've got it all written out. Well, actually, I should say Ken's got it all written out. So I'll try not to read it to you. But building off what Daryl had talked about uh, with New Year's resolutions, um, if you were with us on Friday at our Christmas Eve services, Pastor Dave had a question for us. And if anybody remembers that question, what are you waiting for? Remember that? He started off his message. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? So this morning, let's take just a minute or two here at the end just to explore another question that's probably uh, equally pertinent for a lot of us, right? Because it affects all of us in different ways at different times in our lives. What are you planning for? What are you planning for? And more importantly, what do you do when your plans don't go as expected? Has that ever happened to anybody? It's happened to me once or twice in my life, right? Because, right? you know, as human beings, we plan, right? We plan. President Eisenhower, anybody remember Dwight Eisenhower, famous general of World War II, famous quote, he said, planning is everything. Planning is everything, right? Now, this past summer, a lot of us probably caught the Olympics, right, on, 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 the, on the tube or on streaming or something. And uh, it was a pretty good show. But not what they planned, right? That was supposed to, so we're celebrating the 2020 Olympics in 2021, right? A year late. And let me tell you, you know, my wife's from Japan. We, we catch Japanese news and we're keeping up with stuff this last couple of years. They planned. Leave it to the Japanese to leave like virtually no contingency unplanned for. They had everything planned and almost all of those plans that they had for 2020 had to get scrapped or changed significantly by virtue of the pandemic that we were all living through. Right? They planned, we planned, and sometimes our plans don't go the way we thought. So you're probably ready to move on from Christmas because it's Christmas plus one, right? Unless you've got the, the inner kid inside of you and like, Daryl, you're still waiting for your toy to come. I don't know. Maybe it'll come tomorrow. But uh, let's just pause for a second and just look one final time at this Christmas story um, that we encounter in both Matthew and Luke's Gospels and look at a particular person who arguably had plans. Arguably, he had plans for his life, plans for how he thought things would go, and nothing went the way he thought. And it happened again and again. So we're gonna look at the life of Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, and we're gonna learn that God's direction in our lives is done to fulfill his purposes and for our good. So if you have your Bibles or if you have it on your app, if you don't, I think we're going to have the passages on screen, so don't sweat it. We're going to be looking, bouncing back and forth between Matthew and Luke, right? You might wonder, why do we have two different accounts of the Gospels? They're mainly in Matthew, in fact, only in Matthew and Luke of the, uh, the birth of Jesus. And Matthew is, is usually thought of as being told through the perspective of Joseph's eyes, whereas Luke is typically thought of as being told through the perspective of Mary's eyes. So it's two different perspectives, more or less, that we're going to uh, go through. So we're going to start with Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And I'll go ahead and read what's on the screen, and you guys can follow along. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what we're seeing here is that in that day, this period of they called betrothal, right? So they weren't officially married, but it was kind of a done deal. Joseph had said to Mary, right, let's, let's get married. Everybody agreed. There was a waiting period. They called it the period of betrothal. Pretty much carried with it all the significance of marriage, especially related to the topic of faithfulness, right? So Joseph's plan at this point was to marry the woman that presumably he loved and wanted to spend the rest of his life with, only to find out before this account right here that she was pregnant. And he knew he wasn't the father. <laughs> a little bit of a shock for Joseph. And so it sounds harsh, but believe it or not, what Joseph was really doing here was to basically make it so that the impact on Mary would be less than it otherwise would be, because she could easily be stoned by the villagers, right? And certainly the shame that she would experience, right? But God had other plans. God redirected Joseph. So if we keep reading in verses 20 and 21, but as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Right? Here you got a guy who, as we know from Scripture, Worked with his hands, a hard-working guy, probably an upstanding guy. The Bible says he was a righteous man, basically. He pretty much followed the law as best as he knew how. He wanted to marry the woman that he loved. She's pregnant. He's not the father. you got to believe there's lots of questions going on in his mind, and he's trying to figure out what to do. And an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. Marry her. This baby inside of her is going to save his people from their sins. Right? Illogical direction, right? Totally illogical. God sometimes works that way, where he redirects our lives in ways that make absolutely no sense. In fact, sometimes they go, they go in complete defiance of logic and reason, right? Joseph knew that by doing this, his own reputation would very likely be forever impacted, tarnished, because by marrying and keeping Mary, Everybody in the village was going to think at that moment, oh, so you're the father, and you guys were doing something you shouldn't have been doing before you got married, right? Joseph absorbed that onto himself, right? And it was completely illogical. Sometimes the, the detours that God brings into our lives make no sense, but we're told to just simply obey, like Joseph. Let's keep moving and look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Here we're going to skip over to a, a different account and a little bit later now. So now it's presumably several weeks, you know, at, at least between the moment that Joseph got this dream. Okay, great. I'm going to marry Joseph. I'm going to marry Mary. Um, and life steps in, right? Not, not an angel of the Lord at this point, but life. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Census. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, 
from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Joseph is just getting over, right? Just probably settling in with the fact that, okay, we'll try to figure out how to make this work. Nazareth's not that bad of a place, right? We can, we can, we can make a go of this, get over this somehow. And the government steps in <laughs> and says, up, out, go back to wherever you came from, wherever your family history, your lineage is from, because we're going to do a census, right? And let's just be real here. The Romans weren't doing census just to kind of get a head count. It wasn't like censuses in our day where they're trying to figure out how many representatives they have in a district or how much tax dollars to throw to particular services. You know, the Romans were essentially doing a census to figure out how much revenue they could get from conquered peoples, right? Not exactly a fun task or a fun event. And Joseph's task was not easy either. He had to up his pregnant wife and travel, some say 80, 90 miles, at least several days journey, rugged terrain, uphill. They didn't have any Jeep Grand Cherokees, no, no, no great way to get there. It was a very arduous journey to get to Bethlehem. But he obeyed, right? He obeyed. He simply followed along. Life sometimes steps in. God sometimes allows these detours of life to step in, right? That make no sense. And frankly, can seem to come at the worst times, right? But if we believe that God's sovereign, then even those things are under his care and his plan. Hmm? Let's keep moving and look at uh, the third instance in Luke chapter 2. Verse 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem and at this point they are not where they're supposed to be. You got to remember back in those days people didn't travel all that much. It wasn't un uncommon for people to pretty much stay in their hometown, their village forever and never actually leave. Um, here they are again literally a lifetime for them away from their hometown in a quote foreign place, a city that they weren't familiar with and they didn't have a place to stay. Right? as far as that goes, at least no place comfortable. The very least we can say it wasn't home. They needed a place to be and a place to have a baby. And at this point, they had nowhere to go. They had no help, no provision. What were they going to do? God provides a place for this little baby to be born, Jesus, in a manger. And sometimes that is the way that God works. He allows a crisis to come into our life, a, a detour as it were, that can put you at the edge, bring you to the brink, where you think, what's going to happen now, right? It's almost like a cliffhanger. Is God going to come through? You know, what's going to happen? And so forth. And God provides. He doesn't always provide the way we thought. Notice that it doesn't say that God provided them a hotel room, right, with an in-house doctor, right, medical staff, medical professionals, all the, all the various accoutrements that might have been available in the Roman era at that point, like that might have been available to the emperor. Nope. They pretty much were where the animals were, either in a home or a stable or something. And that's an important point for us, that when God provides, he provides exactly what we need when we need it. It's not always what we think we need, because he knows best. 
Steve, I might be blowing through these video clips, and I apologize because we're running out of time. Is that okay? Good. All right. We had video clips. They weren't of me because I'm here, but uh, we're going to skip them. Fourth instance, we're going to move to Matthew chapter 2. Okay. So now they've had the baby. They're in Bethlehem, and, and by all accounts, they probably were there for at least several weeks, possibly several months, if not longer. Okay? And at this point, it could have been easy to kind of feel like, okay, whew, we're safe. We've got a baby. Presumably, they might have found a place to stay at this point. And the Bible picks this up, the story here in Matthew chapter 2. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, the wise men, departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So they made it through the the trip to Bethlehem, they made it through the birth of Jesus in the manger, and now they're at a point where the, the wise men had come, the wise men had brought our, the gifts, as we often talk about, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, as we talked about earlier. And that was a significant gift with a lot of money. It, it could have been where they felt now at this point, no, this is not too bad. We could make it, maybe make a go of it here in Bethlehem after all. Like, who wants to go back to Nazareth, you know? Maybe kind of create a new identity, a new, a new life here in Bethlehem with the money that they had. And an angel comes to them and says, no, no, you need to get out. You need to get out because there's something that you can't see that's coming. And what that something was was devastating because we know from the passages in, in the Gospels that Herod sent soldiers to wipe out all the children under two years of age in Bethlehem because he didn't know who the Messiah was or where he was, but his solution was take them all out. And so from this standpoint, the angel of the Lord was saying to Joseph, even though you can't see, you need to obey because there's a protective element to God's redirection where sometimes there's things that he, he will advise us or guide us, sometimes through it's, it's through his word, sometimes it's through a friend, advice and counsel, godly counsel from others around us where he'll, he'll push us in a direction that, again, might seem illogical, might seem circumstantial, might seem like part of the crisis, but it's done to protect us, protect us from something that might be coming that we can't see. That could be physical, certainly. That could also be spiritual. I'm of the persuasion a lot of times God's protecting us more spiritually than he is physically, to be honest with you, because that's what he's most concerned about, our soul. And he's concerned about where you're going to be. Right? Let's move on to the fifth instance, the final one. And we'll take it up in Matthew chapter 2, 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared and a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he, Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So again, Joseph and Mary are in, now they're in Egypt, and presumably this is probably for a little bit longer period of time than even Bethlehem. 
Right? Again, remember they had that gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They probably would have been taken care of as far as their daily needs. Of course, Joseph was a handyman. He was kind of a, a construction guy. He could certainly make a living as far as that goes and provide for his family. And it's entirely possible they might have felt being in Egypt might not be so bad. We hear Egypt and we think foreign land. There actually was a, a fairly large Jewish contingent living in Egypt at that time. So it wouldn't have been that uncomfortable of a place to live. But at that point, right when Joseph might, and Mary might have felt comfortable, God steps in and he says, I want you to go back. Go back to where you came from. Go back to Judea. Go back to Israel. Right? Because the people that were seeking Christ's death, this little baby, are gone. And again, Joseph obeyed. You know, the interesting thing is we go through these different, these different uh, redirections, these detours, you see that God takes them way far away from where they were and brings them right back. That almost doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Right? And all the way throughout, not once do we ever read that Joseph questioned, complained, doubted. It's possible he did. The Bible doesn't record it. He just simply obeyed, even though it might not have made sense to him, even though he might not have totally understood where this was all going. We now know, by virtue of the gospel account, if you were following along, how many times did it say, this was fulfilled, this was spoken of by the prophet? All that God had done through Joseph's life, leading this, this little family, all the way from Bethlehem, Nazareth to Bethlehem, Bethlehem to Egypt, Egypt back to Nazareth, all of it was done to fulfill various prophecies that God had spoken of through the prophets way back hundreds of years previously that may or may not have been on Joseph's mind. But Joseph was an instrument in God's hands, and all God asked him to do was obey. Now, all of us are probably familiar with a passage in Isaiah where God says through the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my plans aren't your plans. A lot of us probably know that. We sometimes maybe quoted it. And we can easily think that, you know, wow, I don't know how I feel about that. So does that mean that I should just kind of let go and let God not make any plans whatsoever? Right? And I don't think the Bible necessarily gives us that perspective. I think Paul, if you look at the New Testament, kind of takes that thought and kind of recasts it in a different light, maybe a more uh, New Testament, Jesus-centered life, where he says in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose, right? No matter what happens in your life, the plans you make, the plans you make that don't go as expected are all working together for our good, and God's purposes. Now, um, there's a spiritual component I'll just finalize here as we uh, wrap up that most of us sit in this room are probably not going to be fulfilling prophecies from Isaiah, I don't think. Um, let me know if you are, and I'd love to talk with you afterwards. But there is a purpose for everything that happens in our life. Right? God's purpose. And if you carry on from Romans 8.28, the very next verse tells us why. All that happens in our life, no matter what it is, whatever you plan, whatever you didn't plan, whatever didn't go well, 
or as expected. All of it is done so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. We would become like Jesus. What was Jesus like? It was almost the one thing that you can think about that Jesus exemplifies. Submission. Jesus submitted his will to the will of the Father. A lot of us are familiar with uh, the hymn Amazing Grace. Some of us know the writer of that hymn. His name was John Newton. John Newton was a pastor in England back in the late 1700s. And he wrote lots of hymns, not just Amazing Grace, fantastic hymns if you ever have a chance to go out and Google or YouTube those. He also wrote lots of letters, lots and lots and lots of letters to pastors and friends and people that were hurting, all from a pastor's heart. And in August of 1776, he sat down and he wrote a letter to a pastor friend who was really struggling with this whole idea of why does God sometimes subvert our plans? Why don't things always go the way we expect? I'm just going to read a short portion of this and we'll, uh, we'll pray afterwards. And as we do, just be thinking for yourself as we move into 2022. As Daryl said, how can I plan for 2022? Make a New Year's resolution, spiritual New Year's resolution. What can I do to be more conformed to the likeness of Jesus? My dear friend, it is indeed natural to us to wish and to plan. And it is merciful in the Lord to disappoint our plans and to frustrate our wishes. For we cannot be safe, much less happy, but in proportion as we are weaned from our own wills and made simply desirous of being directed by his guidance. This truth is sufficient, but we seldom learn to put it into practice without being trained in the school of disappointment. The schemes or plans we form look so plausible and convenient. When they're broken, we're ready to say, oh, what a pity. We try again with no better success. We're grieved, perhaps we get angry, and we plan more, and so on, and so on. Then the Lord's invitation to cast our cares upon him and his promise to take care of us come true, appear valuable. And when we're done with our own planning, his plan in our favor gradually opens. And he does more and better for us than we could either ask or think. We judge of things by their present appearances, but the Lord sees them in their consequences. If we could do so likewise, we would be perfectly of his mind. But as we can't, it's an unspeakable mercy that he will manage for us. Whether we, we are pleased with his management or not, our gracious Lord is long-suffering and full of compassion. He bears with us, yet he will take methods both to shame and to humble us and to bring us to a confession that he is wiser than us. The great and unexpected benefit he intends for us by all the discipline we meet in this life is to tread down our wills and bring them into subjection to his so far as we attain to this, we're out of the reach of disappointment. For when the will of God can please us, we shall be pleased every day from morning till night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that your plans are sufficient. Thank you that you see the long term when we don't. Thank you that your plans are for our good and for your glory. Father, for those of us here today, who don't know you and don't have you currently as part of our 
life plan. My prayer is that something that was spoken of today, a song that was sung, a word, would reach down and change their heart and draw them to you through your spirit. Father, for those of us that are following you, as we move into 2022, my prayer is that our plans, whatever they might be, would have you at their center and that we would focus less on the aspects of the daily life that we live and more on how we can be conformed to your son, to be like Jesus in 2022. Father, we know that at the end of time, we will be as he is, and we will stand together around your throne forever in true joy and peace and love and happiness as we remember and reflect on the great love that Jesus showed us at the cross by dying for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being who you are for us, a God that is great and amazing. And we pray that as we move into 2022, you would bless us and keep us and hold us tight. In Jesus' name, amen.